You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. There's the shot that you waited for. Fired to Charlie Brown. It's at the 21-yard line. Theisman has another play called already. 10, 9. They'll kill the clock three. with the incompletion. <laughs> and Mark Mosley will come out. This will be if you ever a 39-yard attempt. Gary Lewis goes up. It. Mosley misses to the right. Oh. And the Packers Whoa. have won the game. <laughs> That soundbite you hear right there came from what is dubbed as the second highest scoring Monday night football game in NFL history. And uh, this this history segment today is going to be uh, uh, kind of uh, introduced, I guess you could say, by one of the listeners in an email. It's a game I had no idea, you know, n- knew nothing about whatsoever. And what a cool story. So we're going to cover that uh, for the history segment today. And then we're going to invite Jacob in and we're going to start to launch a new series that I'm really, really excited about as we lead into training camp. But uh, welcome into Packers Total Access. I'm your host, Clayton Bailey. You can check us out on Twitter at Packers underscore access. Guys, also make sure you check out um, Packernet.com for any kind of uh, Packers news. It's kind of a news aggregate, awesome website. And if you want to email the show, like we had a listener do today, and, and really, I think it's been the past five or six episodes we've had listeners uh, email in with just, whether it's comments, questions, or topics that they wanted to hear us talk about, you can do that, and that email address is PackersTotalAccess at gmail.com. So we're not going to waste any time. This is going to be a jam-packed show. Let's go ahead and jump right in to the history segment, and we're going to do that by reading the email that I received just to kind of uh, set the set the stage so you'll, you'll kind of know why we're talking about this. And, and this email comes from Jim Owens. And the title reads, Packer Monday Night versus Washington and Lynn Dickey, 1983. It says, Hi Clayton, on that Monday night game, I was in the Navy stationed on the West Coast and out to sea. We were traveling up and down the coast between San Diego and Los Angeles. Remember, this was, remember that this was back in the 80s and no satellite for TV. Uh would have to switch back and forth between San Diego and Los Angeles to watch the game. Needless to say, we would miss chunks of the game trying to find it. Plus, besides having a hard time finding the game, most of the time the pitcher was very poor, uh, like it was being played in a snowstorm. I remember, I actually remember the first time that I was introduced to the movie Star Wars, and we lived in a tiny little trailer. We actually just moved out of the housing projects. I was just a kid. I was like five or six years old, and I remember... Um, us trying to watch 
Uh, I guess it was a VHS tape, maybe. I just remember it was a big deal, Star Wars. And um, I remember uh, on that little bitty TV that was real grainy, um, it looked the same exact way, Jim. It was, it was just... It was a black and white TV, and it was very spotty, very fuzzy, and it looked like there was snow on every scene, even though there wasn't. But I'm not even a Star Wars fan. I don't know why it was Star Wars, but it's amazing how uh, moments in your childhood kind of stick with you. But anyway, it says uh, it was it was being played. It looked like it was being played in a snowstorm because of the TV. Some of the time. You could not even see the ball because the pitcher was so bad. Then at the end of the game, one of the teams fumbled the ball and the other recovered it and kicked the game winning field goal. We didn't know who had the ball to start with and who recovered it. And to make matters worse, the announcers assumed that everyone could see who had the ball and who had won the game. To shorten the story, it took two weeks to find out that the Packers won 48 to 47. Think about that. Two weeks before they, they realized they got back, you know, back out from sea. Uh, you know, back inland, and uh, and found out that the Packers actually won that game, forty-eight to forty-seven. I hope someday that when you do a history podcast, which I love to hear, you could retell the story about this game. Thanks for a great show, Jim Owens, Packer fan since nineteen sixty-seven. Too young to remember anything before that. Well, I want to say this, Jim. First of all, man. Um, thank you so much for your service there in the Navy. Uh, thank you for the sacrifice that you made and the sacrifice that your family made giving up that time so you could serve our awesome, awesome country. And also, thank you for being a Packer fan for so long. One thing that kind of gets overlooked in time is, you know, the fact that that if it weren't for the early fans, and I'm sure your parents were probably fans and led you into your Packer fandom, if it hadn't been for you guys, I'm telling you, getting the Packers through the 70s and 80s when it was a down time, this game being in the 80s, um, then we wouldn't have the organization that we have today, and I wouldn't be a Packer fan. You know, if if – if you hadn't had fan support in them down years, then the Packers never would have survived to me seeing them in 2003 and being like, wow, I want this to be my my favorite pro team. So uh, thank you for the email in here. We've got a little treat for you, man. I actually did some digging, and it took a little bit of digging, but I found it. And what we have here, and I'm going to have to read it quick because we're going to be very pressed for time, but this is well worth it. This is from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Okay, this article was written September 10th, 2013, and it's by Martin Hendricks. Okay, Um, so it says the title is Players Recall Crazy Monday Night Classic from 1983. We're going to go quick here, but check this out. It was an offensive shootout to remember one of the greatest NFL games ever played on Monday Night Football. The Green Bay Packers and Washington Redskins racked up a staggering 1,025 yards and combined for 95 points. 11 touchdowns were scored, 11 extra points were kicked, and 6 field goals were kicked. Okay, It says, in the end, the Packers edged the defending Super Bowl champion Redskins 48-47 on October 13, 1983 in one of the most memorable contests uh, ever played at Lambeau Field. The 95 points still stand as the highest total score in a Monday night game and in Green, Green Bay regular season history. I think it was a statement game for us because the defending champions at home, for, playing the against the defending champions at home, former head coach Bart Starr said last week, from Birmingham, Alabama. It was a tribute to both teams and the offenses, not so much for the defenses, but it was a thrilling game to come out of the winning on the winning side. I told my team afterwards, men, does it get any better than this? For Mark Murphy, who is now the president of the Packers, and then a Redskins safety, it was a painful end to a game he'd rather forget. 
one of only two losses for the for Washington during the 1983 season. It wasn't a good game to be a defensive back for either team, Mark Murphy said with a chuckle. The Packers had talented receivers as good as anyone during an er- during that era in National Football League. I'm trying to expunge all memories of that game. The statistics bear that out. Packer quarterback Lynn Dickey completed 22 of 31 passes for 387 yards and three touchdowns with one interception. Redskins quarterback Joe Theismann was 27 of 39 for 398 yards and two touchdowns. Three receivers broke the 100-yard mark, and two more totaled uh, more than 90 yards in pass receiving. Green Bay tight end Paul Kaufman caught six passes for 124 yards and two touchdowns. Gary Ellis added four receptions for 105 yards, and James Lofton snared five for 96. Running back Joe Washington led the Redskins with nine receptions for 57 yards and two touchdowns, while Art Monk totaled five receptions for 105 yards, and Charlie Brown not the cartoon Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown contributed six for 91 yards. Washington amassed 552 yards, while Green Bay totaled 473. The game featured six lead changes, just two punts, and six penalties, three on each team. On the first on my first official day on the job, I took a tour and walked around Lambeau, Mark Murphy said. Pictures of that Monday night game are all over. I threatened to take them down, but didn't. <laughs> I just remember the atmosphere that night was as good as I've seen. For the fans, it was one great play after another. It was like a tennis match, watching the ball go back and forth. The game started with Green Bay kicker Eddie Garcia booting the opening kickoff out of bounds not once but twice. Wow. On the first play from scrimmage, Washington caught a short Thiesman pass and fumbled when hit by linebacker Mike Douglas, who scooped up the ball at the 22-yard line uh, and returned it for a 7-0 Packers lead, igniting the home crowd into a frenzy. The Redskins answered with a Clint Didier touchdown, and the team's traded field goals to end the first quarter tied at 10. Paul Kaufman proved to be a huge mismatch for the, the Washington linebackers in the second quarter, catching touchdown passes of 36 and 9 yards from, from Dickey as Green Bay led 24-20 to 20 at intermission. Dickey said the Packers had extra motivation going into the game as a Redskins player made public, uh, public statements and the game was going to be a Washington route. Bulletin board fodder got us a little cranked up along with being def- uh, them being the defending Super Bowl champions, Lynn Dickey said. At the start of the game, we were just hanging hanging with them and being productive. We felt we could play with these guys, uh, that we can beat these guys. While Dickey enjoyed uh, great pass protection in the first half, Washington applied heavy pressure in the third quarter and took a 33-31 to lead after three quarters. The fourth quarter featured four lead changes, and as Dickey put it, quote, you thought the team with the, with the ball last wins. Hard to believe. But that was not the case. We were lucky. The Packers forged ahead 38-33 to on Gary Lewis's two-yard touchdown run in the final quarter. Back again came the Redskins, taking the lead 40-38 to on John Riggins's one-yard touchdown plunge. Green Bay answered with a 31-yard Dickey to Mike Mead pass to go on top 45-40 to before Washington's five-yard touchdown reception made it 47-45 to with two minutes and 50 seconds left. After Harlan Huckabee returned the kickoff to the Packers' 35-yard line, Dickey engineered the game-winning drive that that accumulated in Jan Stenrud's 21-yard field goal with 57 seconds left. Utilizing Washington's quickness and soft prevent defense, Theismann marched Washington 
down the field to the Green Bay 20, and Mark Mosley lined up to attempt a 39-yard field goal with three seconds remaining. The veteran straight-on kicker, the NFL's most valuable player in 1982, with 12 game-winning boots in his career, sailed the kick wide right. He was the league's MVP as a kicker, guys. That is awesome. Uh, quote, Don Meredith said the first one to 50 wins and Mark missed the field goal. Murphy said he was the reigning MVP and had won so many games for us as a clutch kicker. While a dejected Mosley slumped to the ground, a sellout crowd of 55,225 fans and the Packers bench exploded into a delirious victory celebration. Quote, the way it played out seemed almost like the Packers were destined to win, Mark Murphy said. There were not a lot of highlights for the Packers in the 70s and 80s, but that was one of them. Um, wow, what a cool story. And, of course, the soundbite you heard was him missing the field goal there at the end of the game, and the, and the announcers kind of really, really surprised. You could hear it in their voice. Um, just a different time. Really, really awesome. I want to say this, man. Thank you so much, Jim, for that email because, once again, the fans uh, reach out to us Give us a segment, give us an idea, give us a story, and lo and behold, I knew nothing about that game. And I'm coming away now with a little bit more respect for the 80s Packers and thinking, wow, what a what a cool what a cool game, what a cool way to win. I love how they looked at that game. It was look, it's the Super Bowl champions coming in. Nobody's expecting us to do anything this year. Let's go out and make this our Super Bowl is essentially what it sounded like they made made that game out to be. So I'll tell you this, guys, I found that clip on YouTube. I did notice the entire game is on YouTube. So, Jim, when you get a chance, man, go to YouTube, search Packers Redskins 1983, and you'll see the full game pop up. There's a video that said it was, and it was over two hours long. So crack open a cold beer tonight and watch that game, dude. I, I'm going to do the same thing. I want to watch that whole thing because it sounded very exciting. So, again, Jim, thank you so much for the email. Guys, we're going to take an early break and uh, get some commercial ads in here real quick, pay some bills, right? And then we're going to have Jacob come in for an extended uh, segment. Normally, you know, we do maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes with Jacob. It's going to be a little bit longer because I'm really excited. We are stepping into a new phase of this offseason. We've now covered all of the contracts across the roster, okay? We know where the contracts sit. We know where we, we need to cut money next year. We know where we're strong, where we're weak moving forward as a business, right, as, as the business of creating the roster or filling out the roster for the Packers. Now we're going to go into a segment where we're kind of self-scouting. You know, one thing that the coaches do every offseason is they self-scout. They go back and look at every snap. They have a ton of people do this throughout their organization, and they look at all of the details, right? They go They go through game by game, play-by-play, position-by-position, all 22 coaches film, and they try to understand what they did good, what they did bad, and how they want to adjust as they stepped into mini camps this year. So understand, they're not doing it at the same time we are right now, okay? They already did that. As soon as their season was over, the organization starts digging into that film. And then that's what sets the stage for the offense that they begin to install with the uh, with the OTAs and then obviously stepping into training camp. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to go back and look at last season's games. We're going to do it in four game segments, okay? So we're going to get a four-game saturation. Like today, we're going to cover the Saints, Lions, 49ers, and Steelers. Those are the first four weeks of last season. We're not going to talk about offensive line splits and tendencies and all that stuff. We're not going to bore you with that, all that coach speak and all that. What we're going to do is try to find the key points and where the Packers went right or wrong, which led to a loss or a victory. And that way, we come into training camp 
by the time we get through with this four-episode segment, right, training camp's a little over a month away, we're going to step into training camp and go into the next phase of Packers Total Access. So uh, with that being said, let's take a quick commercial break, and we're going to get Jacob in here and get cranked up. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular. Exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Really, really excited to welcome in Jacob uh, to the show. We're going to launch our new kind of segment, I guess you could say, the phase, a new phase of Packers Total Access as we step into a little bit of a dead period going into training camp. And I thought this would be a great time, Jacob, for us to recap last year and do it in a way that we're covering some some key stats, some key uh, analysis, if you will, and give everybody just a refresher on what exactly happened last season, the good, the bad, and the indifferent. But how are you doing today, man? I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm good. <laughs> good deal, man. Well, I'll tell you, tired usually means you're staying busy, and staying busy means business is good. So that's that's great to hear, dude. Um, all right, man. Let's do it. Let's just jump right in. Let's not waste any time. Um, first things first, week one was against the Saints. As much as you and I both want to forget this game, Jake, <laughs> we've got to cover it, right? Dude. So, all right. When you look at the week one matchup against the Saints, you know, the big talk going into that game was, are they going to come out hot? You know, they didn't do uh, pretty much anything in preseason. They kind of chose to give the players a preseason time off. And we'll talk in a later episode, guys, about is that right or wrong? It seems like Matt LaFleur is changing his philosophy a, a, a little bit on this, if he does what he said he was going to do there with some of the interviews uh, this offseason. But what I'm going to cover is what I feel like are the two most important aspects to the results of a game on the field. I'm not talking about where the game's played or the matchups or this and that. I'm going to really hit on the middle eight and the turnover differential. If you're asking yourself, what's the middle eight? The middle eight is the last four minutes of the first half and the first four minutes of the second half. And the reason that's become very, very important to me, and I use this when I'm gambling, guys. I'm not I'm not promoting gambling. It's something that I do. I like to put a little action on the game. This is something I really focus on when we're live betting during games. And uh, anytime you put you know money on the line, it, you you know it's a, a philosophy or a strategy that you ha- you know you believe in. You know you think it's something that 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 matters. And and really, it came from Bill Belichick. Uh, I've read. I'm on my third book about the you know Bill Belichick Patriots dynasty. And I know this is a Packers podcast. <laughs> I know this is a Packers podcast, but I just love studying greatness, man. It's it, it would be the equivalent to being able to watch and study Vince Lombardi while he was still coaching. You know, and I don't want to miss that opportunity. I don't want to look back and go, well, I just didn't like the Patriots and I missed out on on all that. But the middle eight and then turnover differential are the two keys 
to a, a team winning or losing, okay? So that's what I'm going to hit on. But first things first, at the New Orleans Saints week one, right? Um, I'm going to look at the PFF grades. Obviously, we lost that game, Jacob, right? We lost it handedly, 38-3. to three. According to PFF, the Packers' overall grade for that game was a 63.9. On offense, it was 62.8. Their passing game was only 52.5, okay? Their pass blocking grade, though, was 75.5, really, really well, right? The receiving grade was 59.1. The running grade was 52.0. Running blocking was 77.4. And then on defense, their grade was not spectacular at 64.9. Now, to me, uh, Jacob, when it comes to this game against the Saints, the key to that loss was Aaron Rodgers played like hot garbage, the running game played like hot garbage, and the receivers played like hot garbage. You know, the okay. pass blocking was good, and that's what tells me this was more on Aaron than it was the offensive line. So middle eight, turnover differential. New Orleans won the middle eight seven to nothing, okay? And then they won the turnover battle three to nothing. Those are the keys yep. to that game. So you see right there, those two factors, New Orleans won both of those factors. They ran away. It was a boat race and a 38 to three loss for the Packers. What did you see with this game, Jacob, when you dug back into the recap? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I ha I kind of have, you know, three keys that I always look at and it's turnovers, time of possession, and then penalties. And that's kind of fits in similar, you know, genres is what you were talking about with the middle eight. Um, another thing that I want to mention quick is, I don't know if you guys remember, but this game actually got moved to Jacksonville because there was, I think there was like a hurricane morning or something like that. So it was actually like a, what do you call that? Uh, common field or whatever the heck it was. Um, so there really wasn't like a home team advantage. I think there was only like 35,000 people in attendance or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I really don't like you for making me have to watch this game for a little behind the, <laughs> behind the scenes. I thought, me and Clayton were going to preview the upcoming first four weeks. So I did like hours and hours of work, dude. I had like binders going and this morning. I texted him and he's like, no, you idiot. We're like, look at my text. I said, oh, you're right. So I had to go back this morning real early and unfortunately I had to watch the Saints game. And man, it was, it was just bad. It was, and I can't help but, you know, Roger says, well, we don't need the preseason. Dude, you needed the preseason. You at least <laughs> needed a quarter. You at least needed a half, you know? And, and I think, tough. like you said, well, like you said, the offensive line did okay, you know? And so I, I watched, if you call it whole highlights of that game, lowlights. I mean, Rogers just did not look sharp. He just did not. And you cannot tell me that him having 15 minutes, 10 minutes, five minutes with live football would not help him. Because like you said, Look at how he progressed after that game. It, it's just basically he kind of snapped too. So, yeah, that's my first initial, you know, as I'm looking back. But like you said, you know, if you just look at the, the straight stats, I mean, third down conversions, Green Bay was one of 10. Fourth down conversions, they were two of three. But the time of possession, they had 25 to New Orleans, 35. Uh, New Orleans was two for two on fourth down conversions. They were five for 10 on third down conversions. They had six penalty yards, uh, for 36 yards, Green Bay only had five for 33. But then, like you said, Green Bay had three turnovers. New Orleans had zero. I don't know. I should have looked at that stat, but I, I'm sure that the winning percentage of a team that has three turnovers versus zero has got to be like nil, you know? So, yeah. Good stuff, man. Yeah. It, it was a tough one. I mean, when you look and you see, uh, how bad Rodgers played in that game. And also you look at the the targets to Devontae Adams. It's obvious that he was just, ah, you oh, know yeah. what? We don't need that extra time. 
let's just get the ball to Tay. And it did not work out. Those Saints came out ready to play, man. And, and you're right. They, I think that it, it says more about Rodgers playing in that heat down there, although he did struggle in the in the cold up here at Lambeau in the divisional game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, they just weren't ready, dude. They need that extra time. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. Um, and when you look at it, again, those grades, and we're going to move on to the next game because we got to keep this segment moving. But when you look at those grades, the passing rating was horrible or the, the passing PFF grade was horrible, the receiving grade was horrible, and the running back grade was horrible. Those are your skill positions that everybody talks about as timing base in this Matt LaFleur offense. That's not a coincidence. So, all right, let's move on to Detroit. Let's get back on a winning track here. You ready, Jacob? <laughs> Week two against the Lions, the Packers won 35-17, to 17, okay? 35-17. to 17. When you look at the PFF grades, overall the Packers scored a 78.2. They had a 78.3 on offense, which I'm going to kind of not read all the numbers, but to me it looked like it was a balanced attack. The receiving grade was nice. The running grade was decent. The blocking grade, once again, the, the offensive line showed up big time against the lines. And then on defense, they had a 67.8, a little bit better than against the Saints. Their tackling grade, what I'm seeing in these first two games, was excellent. Now, when you look to the two key components that I think are important with middle eight and turnover differential, the Green Bay Packers won the middle eight 14 to three, and they won the turnover differential battle two to zero. So here you see we're two games in. And those two key factors, whichever team wins those two key areas, they go on to win the game. If you win both of them, you win pretty handily. So this is uh, the reason I bring this up, Jacob, with these two things is this is this is Bill Belichick 101. He's like, we're going to win the middle eight and we're going to protect the football. We're going to make them make the mistakes. OK, and one of the things that he coaches the most that I've studied and picked up on is uh, tip drills and interception drills. He really teaches his DBs to play to find the ball on passing plays when they know they have the advantage in that specific coverage. But how did you see the Detroit Lions game? What stood out to you? Yeah, man. I mean, it was just the rebound of Aaron Rodgers was basically it for me. I mean, just real quick. I don't think I've ever been more <laughs> disappointed with a, I was so excited for opening day, you know, and then to have that loss to the saints, like that was just the ultimate turd in my cereal. So like to have Rodgers bounce back that next week, he was 22 at 27, 255 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. Um, he had a rating of 145.6. I mean, that's got to be up there with one of his best of all times. And my favorite part, my little nugget of this game, I forgot all about it. Aaron Jones had a great day, um, but it was more like Devontae Adams, you know, eight yard, eight receptions for 121. And when I watched the film, again, I don't want to make everybody, it, it's amazing the chemistry these guys had. They really didn't have to look at each other the way that Adams, the, the routes he runs and the way that Rodgers could fit the ball in there. I mean, it's just, it is a, it's like a work of art and I, I don't know how we're going to fill that, but I mean, um, it's just interesting. A little, another little nugget here is um, I believe, yeah, that was when Aaron Jones, oh, this is so cool. So I want to hear what you think about this. Aaron Jones, everybody remembers when Brett Favre, remember when he lost his father, Big Irv, and then he played the next day, I think it was against the Raiders, right? And he scored four touchdowns, amazing game. Well, if you don't remember Jones, Aaron Jones lost his father this past offseason. And then he played in the Lions game. Remember, he had that necklace around his neck of his father's ashes. Jones went on to score four touchdowns that game. He lost the necklace in the end zone. And they thought it was gone forever. And I think it was the strength and conditioning coach was out there literally combing 
every inch by inch for like four hours. And he found that necklace and brought it back to Jones. And I thought I just, that gave me goosebumps when I read that again, dude, like it was just, I forgot, you know, you forget about those little things when you go back. It's, it's really cool. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. That was the game. And he ran, he had 17 carries for 67 yards and a touchdown average and right at four yards a carry. But in the receiving game, six catches, 48 yards and three receiving touchdowns. He was targeted six times and had six catches. So that's good stuff, dude. It's it's awesome to recap the wins, right? (laughs) So, all right. So moving on to the next game at the San Francisco 49ers. Um, This was a a nice, nice W there early in the year. I feel like this really uh, extended that momentum coming out of this game. Almost gave me a heart attack, dude. I literally almost (laughs) died this game. And and that's, I say that because when you, when you win close games like this, it really propels you with a ton of momentum, but when you lose them, man, Mm -hmm. it can be a heartbreaker, but obviously this was week three. This is a primetime game. The Packers get, an awesome victory, 30 to 28. And when you look at the PFF grades, uh, overall, the Packers scored a 69.7. Their offense was 71.2. Their passing game was just on point. Aaron Rodgers grading out around an 82.8. And here's what's cool about that. Everybody likes to look at Rodgers and kind of cast the blame on him a lot. You know, that's just been, that's my opinion, my experience. I see people doing that. If he's not perfect, then it's just, well, you know, with all the drama, quote unquote drama he brings to the table, it's not worth having him. Let's move on. His, the pass blocking grade for that game for the Green Bay Packers guys was 56.1. They sucked at pass blocking, but somehow the passing grade was 82.8. That is your quarterback. The receiving grade was 71.3. The running back grade, the rushing grade was only 65.3. So the big thing that stands out there is Aaron Rodgers at 82.8 with an awesome game. Now, you're probably saying, well, yeah, our defense probably played decent. No, 58.6 on defense, 50s across the board, a bunch of 50 burgers. So the defense did not show up for that game, in my opinion. Now, when you look to the t- the two key components, the middle eight, it was a tie. It was a push. Seven to seven was the middle eight score. So you wipe that off the board. What was the turnover differential? Green Bay won the turnover differential two to nothing. It's because Aaron Rodgers protected the football. Yep. What stands out to you in this game, Jacob? Well, a few things. One, real quick, just as a personal note, <clears throat> watching this game, that was when I received my first written warning violation for noise from my landlord. Uh, I actually still have that <laughs> recorded from when they actually won. But uh, hold for up, me, there I was. Hold a- up, I got to. I got to. I'm sorry. I know we're pressed for time, but do you have that in written form or a voicemail saved or any kind of proof of that? I have an email somewhere. I, I might be able to dig it up. I should be able to hopefully yeah, find that. find that and frame it, dude. That okay. is okay. Um, the other thing was, uh, real quick, Rogers had a catch for negative four yards. I don't remember it. I, I tried to look it up. I'm assuming it has to be like a batted ball back to him kind of thing. But anyways, I just thought that was interesting. And this, I think is the first game. You said the defense didn't play that well, but Devondre Com- Campbell did. He had uh 12 sacks, six total. And I remember that was like the first time where I was like, this Devondre Campbell guy's kind of a, he's got something, you know what I mean? And, and so I was really excited about that. And again, it's just heart attack pack, man. I mean, I literally remember dropping to my knees and just thank you. Thank you. Cause I just, after that week one and after, you know, the lions even gave us, I don't know if you remember, but they kind of were in it for the first two quarters. So like, it just, we needed this game. We needed to have this confidence. Like you said, the close games, we needed this win to project us forward. And um, I'm just happy it worked out the way it did. 
Yeah, when you point out on on defense, you know, the guys who did step up in the stat column is Darnell Savage with six solo tackles, one for a loss. You had Preston Smith with a sack, Kenny Clark with a sack, Oren Burks, Jonathan Garvin, Rashawn Gary, and T.J. Slayton, each with a half sack. So those are kind of your key components. And, of course, Devondre Campbell, you know, coming up there in the tackle column and him really flashing. I'm with you. I remember seeing him in that game and thinking – what do we have here in this guy? Like he, maybe it's just a fluke, but he looks like he knows exactly what he's doing in this game. So uh, awesome, dude. Awesome stuff. So that was a big win, man. Anytime you get a win over the San Francisco 49ers and you do it in their house, that is, uh, that's always an extra plus for me. So, all right, let's move on. Week four recap, Pittsburgh Steelers. This was a, uh, uh, 425 kickoff. I guess that's Eastern time. Um, you know, the time zone that I am in, but you had the, uh, Green Bay Packers defeating the Pittsburgh Steelers 27 to 17. That was at home at Lambeau. Um, when you look at the PFF grades, Jacob, overall, the Packers graded out at a 69.6. Their offensive grade was a 69.5. Their passing grade down a touch at 62 even. Their pass blocking grade at 67.9, receiving grade, though, 74.1, and their running grade uh, was a 78.8 with only – now think about this. The rushing grade is a 78.8, but their rush, the run blocking grade was only a 45.5. So what that stands out right there and tells right me – contact. Yeah, is the running backs really balled out in that game. The running yeah. backs and the receivers – you know, even though Aaron had a down game graded out as a 62 flat. Now, on defense, the overall grade was a 65.3. Their rush defense was a 69.9. Their tackling grade in that game was horrible, 56.3, okay? But their pass rushing grade was a 71.7. Uh, coverage grade was horrible at a 57.5. And uh, special teams graded out as a 54.2, which I don't even want to talk about special teams. <laughs> But anyway, so what stands out to me is the running backs and the receivers showed up for that game and the running defense really showed up as well as a little bit of a pass rush. But when you look at the middle eight, the Packers won the middle eight three to nothing. It sounds minute, guys, but winning when you win that middle eight, there's something about the momentum that's created to propel you into the fourth quarter. And they won that three to nothing, then turnover differential. Green Bay won that two to one. So four games in. And every single game that the team that won, uh, you know, came out on top with middle eight and turnover differential ended up winning the game. And I'm really, really excited to see as we go through the rest of the season, does that hold true for the entirety of the season? Is there going to be a game where a team loses the middle eight and the turnover differential and somehow wins? I'm going to have a hard time believing that it happened. But what do you think with the Pittsburgh Steelers game, Jacob? What kind of stood out to you with this game? Mm-hmm. So initially you mentioned special teams. Well, I made a little note here when I was looking back at that film. A lot of people, again, may not remember. We had a field goal blocked by Pittsburgh that went back for a touchdown that got reversed because one of the refs said that the dude was offsides. He was not. I mean, even I don't remember what the uh, who the commentators were, but they were ripping apart that ref. We should have definitely known at that point that we got something wrong with our special teams. And I remember, remember coach Han at that time was like, yo, you guys like, it's not good. And your, (laughs) your edge blockers on that uh, point after touchdown attempt, like they're going to burn you. And oh my gosh, like, was he right? And anyways, um, there was a couple other great notes about that. I think this was the first game that I saw AJ Dillon kind of pop out of there. There was a few runs where, like you said, he hits a guy at the, at the line of scrimmage and then boom, bounces off for like 10, 20, 
I think he had one that where he was like two yards away from scoring on it, like a 20 yard run. I think as well that this was uh, the game that I think Jair got hurt. I couldn't find a definite answer for that. I saw a play where he jumped in the backfield. It was like, I believe it was a fourth and one fourth and two, something like that. He made a Charles Woodson type play where he threw his body into the backfield, made like a four yard loss. But I think that's when he broke his arm or whatever it was that he did. Um, and then again, it was Randall Cobb. That was a Randall Cobb day. He was lighting it up. He was everywhere. He was Roger's safety net. He actually, the only thing about Randall Cobb that game is Devonte Adams sprung open for a deep, um, I think it was like a fly route or something, but Cobb thought it was for him and he had jumps and jumped up and just at the last second tipped it away from, from Adams and Rogers and Adams just looked at him like, dude, <laughs> like, <laughs> Rogers puts his hands on his head and but that was the only bad thing about Cobb that game. Otherwise he ripped it up. I mean, it was, it was another good game. Again, Devondre Campbell kind of showed up again. He had 10 total sacks or I'm sorry, 10 total tackles. So again, he kind of started showing up. Uh, Gary started showing up. It was interesting when I was looking back, we didn't have enough time to go into this, but I, I looked at snap counts and how many um, they got percentage to the game. And it was interesting seeing how Gary didn't have a lot of snap counts in the beginning of the year and then started increasing. And a lot of other players as well. It was Kinsley Kiki was on the field a lot in the beginning of the year. And it's so interesting to see him, how he fell off and then eventually obviously left the team. But yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned AJ Dillon, 15 carries for 81 yards, average 5.4 yards a pop right now. um, What's crazy is he had 15 carries and Aaron Jones had 15 carries. So they, they ran the ball just 30, you know, 30 times between the two of them. That's pretty impressive. That's Um, an, a perfect example of what a smash running back versus slasher. You know what I mean? I mean, that's what AJ, AJ Dillon in Boston college, I think had the worst blocking offensive line, like of all college football and the guy still balled out. So imagine what we can do if we get a really great offensive line for him. Yeah, absolutely, man. And and here's what's really cool, too. You know, like you said, Randall Cobb, five catches for 69 yards and two touchdowns. He only had six targets and had five catches. Now, yeah. think of, listen at this, uh, six catches for Devontae Adams for 64 yards, but he was targeted 11, 11. times. Yeah. Guys, this is why I'm excited about this year. If he, it's obvious that he's keying in on Devontae, and you talked about the chemistry, and I totally get it, man. I agree. There was times where Tay just took over, and thank God we had him on the roster. But I'm telling you, if you look at the rest of the targets, Aaron Jones targeted four times, had three catches. Alan Lazard targeted three times, had two catches. A.J. Dillon targeted once, had a catch for 16 yards. Robert Tunyon was another one that he kind of forced the ball to, right? Seven targets, only two catches. But Mercedes Lewis, two targets, one catch. If you remove Devontae Adams, the tar- the catch per the catch to target ratio or target to catch ratio, I should say, yeah. is really high. That's something that we should really, really be excited about. And also with Aaron Jones showing up in the receiving stat column, like we're talking about, you know, another game with 51 yards receiving, you're hearing in training camp, right? Uh, Jacob, that you're seeing a lot of formations where both AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones are on the field at the same time. That's exciting with us you know, removing all of Tay's touches, you're going to be able to open up that Matt LaFleur offense. Dude, I'm jacked about that. I mean, they can both run. They can both catch. People sleep on how well A.J. Dillon can catch. And obviously we know what what Jones can do. I mean, the guy is very, very underrated for how great he is. So I'm, I'm, I'm more excited than I ever could be. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. It's going to be a great year, and I'm really, really excited about this series that we're we're kind of starting here. This is going to be a great way to fill that void, to fill time as we go into training camp. And then when training camp hits, there's going to be a ton of training camp news. We're going to be monitoring monitoring it very, very heavily to see all right, who's on the cusp of, of being cut, uh, whose roster spot's safe, who stood out. God, God knows we don't want it. But it's coming. There's going to be injuries, and that's yeah. going to be something that really molds that roster. You know, is David Bakhtiari going to be ready? Is Elton Jenkins, what are we looking at as far as an ETA on him? Is it week six? Same thing with Bob Tunyon and Kylan Hill. There's going to be a ton of stuff to talk about. So I'm really excited about using this segment to fill that void until we get to training camp. So, Jacob, dude, great, great work, man. You had some great insight. Thank you so much for helping me with this, and I look forward to doing it again next Sunday. Yes, sir. I just want to let everyone know that I also am dating a witch and I also identify as a lizard. So in case you're wondering, there you go. Hey, what, you know, whatever makes you happy, man, right? Whatever fills your cup. <laughs> I'll tell you this, man. I, I got to say this, Jake. I got to. Sorry. Isn't it amazing? I got him going. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how Aaron Rodgers wanted to be traded? There's no I could pull up 20 clips of the media saying Aaron Rodgers has played his last game for the Green Bay Packers. And then it shifted to this is Aaron Rodgers' last year in Green Bay. And then it shifted to Aaron Rodgers stole all the money. That's why they had to let Tay. Then it comes out that, no, for five years, Tay won it out. Okay, so it had nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers and his contract. Aaron helped him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I pointed out on my podcast how Aaron is not taking all the money from the salary cap when you compare it to other quarterbacks across the league and what their salary cap hit is. Right. And now all of a sudden you squash one media report after another, after another, after another. And lo and behold, now he's dating a witch. It's like, yeah, I don't know, man. Nowadays, I have a good rule of thumb. Whatever the mainstream media says, you can pretty much bet the opposite is true. <laughs> Absolutely. And here's the thing. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say the word that that's, you know, gets everybody all upset. Vaccination. Okay. Mm-hmm. This all started when the vaccination story became, it became clear that Aaron Rodgers was not vaccinated. Guys, right. listen to me. I want you to listen close. I'm vaccinated. I had to be vaccinated. I had Clayton COVID. Bailey is vaccinated. Listen at that. I had, <laughs> I had uh, COVID nineteen in twenty twenty. I still have uh, very very limited. I've only got about twenty percent of my smell and taste. This thing, I cannot really, smell. I cannot smell for the last year and a half. Now think about this. I, I want to ask you because I feel like we can have this conversation. Are you vaccinated? I am not. Okay, so you weren't vaccinated. I was vaccinated. And we both had the same thing. The virus and every and, and this is all that Aaron Rodgers was saying. Yeah. Was yeah. you guys are the 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 political realm, both some what's crazy is there was political people on both sides of the aisle pushing this false agenda that this is and what Aaron Rodgers said, this is the pandemic of the unvaccinated, is what they were saying. And it was BS. Stop yeah. letting these people divide us, man. Exactly. It's, it's unbelievable. And and yet you look at the, you know, oh, man, <laughs> we don't need to get into more. Basically, I, I completely understand, dude, it's they want us. They need us hating each other. They need us arguing so that they can be doing whatever they're doing behind the doors. So 100 percent, dude, if you want to put two needles in your arm, I don't care if you don't want a needle in your arm. I don't care. But just stop pretending like these parties care about you as they keep us divided. So, yes. Jacob, dude, thank you so much for your time, man. You were awesome. Yes, sir. 
All right, guys, that's the show. Hope you enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun having Jacob in to kind of break down those first that first quarter of the season, uh, kind of a, a four-game saturation there at the beginning of last year and kind of give us an idea, a recap. It's really it's a refresher and also an opportunity to learn exactly what the Green Bay Packers did good and did you know bad and uh, and how they may make adjustments as we come into this year. The one thing that I come away from when looking at those statistics and kind of how everything laid out is – just how effective Aaron Jones was in the passing game. Now, I'm with Ryan. I don't I don't think you're going to see Aaron Jones split out wide, especially breaking the huddle that often. There may be some pre-snap motion, putting him out, flexing him out wide in that regard to create a little bit of a mismatch and, and preventing the defense from keying in on what the Packers are doing there pre-snap. Um, you know, there's a lot of adjustments that have to take place when when a team has to uh, – when, when an offense comes out and flexes a running back out, they have to make adjustments on the fly, and there has to be great communication. I think it's just one more thing that the opposing defense will have to worry about. But the fact that the Packers are using A.J. Dillon and, uh, you know, uh, Aaron Jones um, in the same formation so often now when it comes to camp – I think that, that that's something we're going to see a lot this year, and I'm really, really excited about it. So um, Aaron Jones could be a beast in this passing attack, um, seeing that you're not going to have all those touches going to Devontae Adams. So I think you're going to see a lot of 12 personnel. Um, that's my early uh, indication, I guess you could say. But, um, yeah, with that being said, I'm really, really excited about uh, moving on with this series um, and going on to weeks five through, I guess we'll probably do, we'll try to do weeks five through nine next. So, um, yeah, until then, guys, thank you so much. I do want to end the show with a quick email uh, from Joey. And it was just, uh, like I said, quick. It says, hey, Clayton, love the show. Just wanted to give you that feedback. And I really appreciate how you end every show the way you do on a positive note about making change. Um, Joey, thank you so much, dude, for just taking the time to send that encouraging message. That means the world to us. So we're going to end it right there, guys. As always, let's go out and be the change that we want to see in the world. Um, reach out to a neighbor, a friend, encourage them today, and uh, you'd be surprised at how far that goes. So as always, go Pack Go. Fellas, let's have a little fun today. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.